As many employers scramble to develop more flexible and family-friendly work cultures, Mainstaying Technologies has been well ahead of that curve. Today, we talk to the CEO of this perennial best company to work for about balancing a growing IT firm with a culture that values employees and their home life. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting. And welcome to BizCast NH. Hey, Nathan. Hey, Matt. How you doing? I'm fine. Um, so I was curious, you know, IT and all that is on the calendar on for the agenda today, for the day. But, you know, that does bring up, you know, screen time. And oh, don't even don't even say that phrase to me. Uh Oh, so what? <laughs> you know, I have a teenager yes. and a 10 year old <clears throat> mm-hmm. and you've got two little ones. I have a five and a half so, and a three and a half. So I basically have like a five and a half slash teenager because screen time. Oh, yes. Challenge. Even at five and a half these days. I was going to say, so, I mean, you know, we know we're supposed to limit screen time, but there's sometimes where, let's face it, it's the savior. Yeah. How do you handle screen time at your house? Well, we um, we rely on the Kindle to tell us when the time is up. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> which is, I love their like parental you know settings and all that kind of stuff, which is awesome. We upgraded the, from the kids Kindle to like the other you know the full size Kindle recently for my son, and because he loves to you know play Minecraft and you know do some watch videos and and some things, and we limit the type of content, we limit the time, and you know no screens after dinner and all of this and. Um, we do our best with that, but sometimes we're like, yeah, you can have an extra hour because we just need it. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody needs it, you know? Although, you know, it is like a second job right now. Like I have a teenager mm-hmm. and mm. the, the world is at his fingertips, whether we want it to be or not. And, you know, you try and follow all the tips for how to keep things away from them. But let's face it. He's a teenager. Yeah. Teenagers are resourceful. Always always find a way to get what they need. And, you know, I, you know, we always found a way to get to some things that we didn't need to. And we didn't have Google to bring it to us. Right. And so, you know, we are really struggling with how do you, you know, allow your kid enough freedom that he is a savvy 21st century. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm person right while also trying to protect him from everything that is out there and and from himself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and and, you know because if you have a teenager you know it's like having a toddler it's like you know but it's you know more smell and a lot more hormones yeah and you know it's like you know let me look up anything i can't it shouldn't be it's like uh, please don't well it's funny because noah will ask me sometimes how do you spell this word i'm like why? Why? <laughs> Why do you need to look that up? Why? Let's okay. Let's go. Let's see what we're doing here, and let's like okay. Now it's time for some Daniel Tiger. Okay, let's just watch Daniel Tiger because that's not controversial at all. No, and then you know, there's the things that you you, you have to have limits on for your own mental health. Mm. Like my ten year old is obsessed with watching other kids 
playing video games yes. or adults yes. playing video games yeah. and yelling about I it constantly. I don't understand it at all, but yeah. I feel like I'm being assaulted all the mm-hmm, time. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, we need to, one, turn down the volume on that, and yes. two, that's the last of those videos you are watching for yeah, today because exactly. it's not healthy exactly. for you. YouTube no longer exists on the smart TV because we, yeah, no. Yeah, because <laughs> I want to go, it's so sad, it's like, yes, I want you to go out and play, and at the very least, go play a video game instead of watch someone else play yeah, a video game. At the very least, actually play a video game. I'm like, I'm, we're watching the last days of humanity. Deep, deep hole. Oh my God. All right. Oh. Well, that's enough of me Whew. being a curmudgeon. Yeah, you're a tech curmudgeon. Um, oh. Put away your curmudgeonness. We are on a little trip. So um, let's get to this week's guest. Ryan Barton is the founder and CEO of Mainstay Technologies, an IT and information security services company with offices in Manchester and Belmont, New Hampshire. Ryan and his team believe technology and business can be powerful forces for good and have built the company on that philosophy. Multiple awards have validated their success, including Best Companies to Work For, Business of the Year, Inc. 5000, Business Excellence, and the Torch Award for Marketplace Ethics. Ryan is a husband, father of three, insatiable reader, and a seeker of meaning. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. I don't think I can leave our listeners hanging on the seeker of meaning part of your bio before we dive into Mainstay as a company. Can you tell us a little bit more about being a seeker of meaning and what you what you may mean by that. Ooh, I love that question. Yeah, I good. All right, let's. Uh, we, well, you take as long as you need. We'll just edit out what we can't have. Well, I, I think <laughs> you were you were just starting a conversation around meaning of what is the meaning of technology in our children's lives and how is it impacting our culture. Mm. We live at this day where technology is radically reshaping our culture. It is radically reshaping our attention. And what we give attention to as a human species is what determines so much of what happens in our lives. And I'm afraid that there are not enough deep conversations that can hold the complexities of what we're facing as a Mm. culture. And so I believe that we need to mine the past and the practices of wisdom and of religion and of history Mm -hmm. and the technology and science of today and say, how do we live lives that are good lives of true, authentic flourishing, not just easy lives, not just lives where we're successful in this way or another, Mm -hmm. but truly flourishing of what humans are capable of. Wow. I feel like if we had a mic, we would drop it right now. (laughs) That's absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. That's a that's an awesome way to start and um and I appreciate it. Now um tell us about this little business that you've created. <laughs> yeah, so Mainstay, you know, it came about it's a service business, right? Mm-hmm. So we serve mm-hmm. our clients as their IT department and it's matured every year as we grow and get more sophisticated in what we do. Mm-hmm. But service businesses are interesting because there's such a low barrier to start a service business and a high barrier to scaling them. And Mm. so anyone can say, oh, I can do that. And that's what I did is I was that kid who loved computers, who found people really challenging and computers really easy. Technology (laughs) made sense to me. And so I started at a very young age, just taking care of people's computers and then they would start paying me for it. And then businesses started paying. And it was quite a journey to then say, oh, wait, this is a business. I woke up a little late to it, I think, and actually had the crossing the Rubicon moment of, okay, this is an actual business. Mm. And then we scaled it from there. And it's always come out of this deep belief that um, we want to care for people that build a business on how do we be successful in business and in helping our clients with their technology so that they end up being successful in the ways that matter to them, that their organizations get to flourish. And how do we then build a company where people are authentically flourishing, where we're taking people as what matters? I mean, I don't care what your background or beliefs are. Mm-hmm. You can't argue that six, the true success is found in the lives of the people that we impact. 
I think that almost everyone resonates that that is true, that at the end of our lives, we look back and we say, wow, it's how we impacted people. Mm -hmm. And we get to do that through business, serving our clients with our technology. It's wonderful. I love it. Now, you start off in the Lakes region. Yes. And when you expanded to your next office, it was in Manchester. Can you, you've been very conscious about growth, though. I mean, you wanted a growing company, but you wanted to grow in a certain way. Can you talk about what your approach to growth has been and what the philosophy behind how you grow and where you grow? Yeah, thanks, Matt. So I think that growth is an integral part of being human and having a business. I think that growth, when we think and define it well, is this process of actually becoming something greater than you were before. And I think it's a journey that we all are on individuals, is that we have this ability to grow and none of us really knows how much potential we each have. I mean, like, how far can we each grow? And then as a company, you just get to do that as a team. You get to build this structure that's somehow greater than the sum of its parts. But growth is can also be intoxicating and it can be a little deadly because it's disruptive. And so growth by numbers, especially in that way, which is so tied up in, in the other growth I was referring to. So, you know, we had seasons where, you know, the early years, it was so fun. We just were growing. First it was me, then there was like five of us and, you know, you get pizza at the end of the day and just <laughs> get everything taken care of for clients and you're high-fiving each other. And then it kept growing and it was like, wow, I got really good at hiring and really good at sales. And so we nice. were bringing clients on Mm-hmm. And it was like, we figured it out. Everything's wonderful. And we hit about 40 people and the wheels came off. I mean, it was like the stress, the quality, the challenges, people were calling, and it wasn't fun anymore. Our clients went from loving us to being frustrated with us. Our team was getting burnt out, and I didn't want to work there anymore. I was like, what is this? And so really that was such a process of saying, wow, there's a business discipline here about how to mature as an organization and how to do this well and do this right. And part of that is the principle of how to grow and scale at the right level for the business. As a service business, we can't scale without bringing people in. We have to bring in and train and develop people and then build all the process and management around them. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain pace that you can do that well. Mm -hmm. And you can sort of easily say, well, if you grow 100% in a year, that would mean you'd have new people training new people. That'd be way too fast. But if you grow 2%, that's way too slow. (laughs) So where is it in there? And Jim Collins has written many wonderful books, as I know you um, you know, and he has this great principle, the 20 mile march, where he outlines how many companies have been successful growing 20% a year every year, rather than going 41 year and 10 the next and mm. five and then 50. It's like, if you can just do 20% a year over and over, and that's a the 20 mile march, we love that principle. And so for us, we try to grow 15 to 25% every year and do that consistently. And what about your geographic footprint? I mean, even though you grew it, there's... You could grow it even further, but yes. what has been behind your thoughts on that, how far your service area needs to extend? Yeah, we're fortunate to be in a market that's growing. I mean, everyone needs technology. They need better technology services. And being able to provide a full service of a whole team for less than the cost of one person and do it really, really well, that model is continuing to grow. And so we get pulled into a lot of growth. But we love the relationships and we love quality. We don't want to do anything that we can't do well and that we can't do with these thick, meaningful relationships. And so that means that we like to do it with people that we can drive quickly and easily to and actually get face to face. And so we do about an hour and a half radius from Manchester at this point. 
And then we work with people who are remote only. And we could do more and we sometimes make exceptions, but we really like that. And the reality is that there are so many organizations that need quality IT and information security services that we don't have to expand past that to hit those growth goals. Mm. And as we do, we'll just going to be really intentional about the kind of recruiting and strategies that we have. Now, going back to what you were first talking about and, you know, the culture or, you know, the business stuff was just sinking into this like toxicity that you had considered, but it's hard to get out of that. I mean, once businesses are embroiled in it, that stinking thinking can take over. Um, And how did you go about riding that ship when you realize like, this is not the company I want it to be? How did you start thinking about where do I get, what, what did you want the company to be and how did you get back there and how did you get people on board? Cause change is hard, whether it's for good or bad. Yes. Yes. Oh, you're taking me back to that season. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. Yes. Sorry no, if there's any so PTSD. But... I refer to it all the time. It was such a meaningful season. Isn't mm. it wild how it's our suffering so often that we grow the most right. in yes. oh, God, and it's yes. the most meaningful and people, you ask me a story and I tell you the story of suffering. It's like, what is that all about? <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm a big reader. It's a huge way that I learn. And I found this really wonderful book in that season called Predictable Success. And it actually outlined different stages of a company. And it says, you know, in the early years, you have early struggles. You get off the ground, then you get fun season. And boy, did we have that. And then you hit white water. And that is exactly the way that I would define what we had is it felt like the waves are coming from everywhere. And the way you get out of that is by getting really clear on the vision and saying no to a lot of things. And we had to say, start saying no a lot more than we said yes. And unfortunately, it meant there were 40 or 50 clients that we had to go to and say, we love you. We're going to help you find a good company, but you either have to pay us this and get into this model, or we're going to help you find somebody who can do what you do well, because this is the thing we're going to do well. This one thing, we're going to do better than anybody else, and we have to say no to the other. And then we're going to have to put in professional management. When I say put in, become professional managers Mm -hmm. was really Mm -hmm. what it was about. Yep. I had to embrace their skills I have to learn. I need my team to learn that. And then just be steady. What do you do with white water in a boat? You make sure you don't go wildly to the left and to the right because you look for quick fixes. And I did that at first. We reorganized the whole company. We had this big project. We called it Project Phalanx. It was like, we're going to fix everything in one shot. And it was disastrous. It was a terrible idea. (laughs) And then we realized there's no quick fix here. This is steady piloting where you just grind it out and you get a little better and a little steadier. And it worked. Nice, nice. You, um, well, you mentioned a little bit of this, that management philosophy and becoming the, you know, becoming the leaders and all that. Um, something that you um, subscribe to, as it were, or have, have built in and, and weaved into the company is something called conscious capitalism. Can you um, kind of dive into that for us and maybe tell us a little bit about your journey discovering that, but then how that has affected the company and the growth too? Yes. So capitalism is this incredibly powerful force, right? You you can combine people in business and actually create value. You get to take two and two and take these ingredients in this time and create something that was worth more, that people will pay you money for. It's this incredible engine that has driven all of the success and innovation in our culture. And yet it's been so paired in our culture to this idea of the capitalist, the person who controls that capital, who gets the ego, who gets all the rewards, and that that money, that the rewards of it are primarily money and that that money is primarily for the shareholders. And that's just in the water of business, that this is what business is about, this is its purpose. And I think that that's a radical departure from actually what we know to be wise and to be true and good. You know, you mentioned some of the awards that we got. 
And I'm very gratified by them, but I also have this ambivalent reaction when we receive an award, like, because we often are talked about for doing these things in stories that show the care that we have for our team and for our clients. And I go, isn't this what we teach our kids in kindergarten? Don't we teach them to look out for each other, to care for each other, to also have their own needs at the table, to not be run over and to you know deprioritize themselves, but to genuinely seek what is highest good for everyone around them and their own highest good that's connected to it. And that's what I think the essence of capitalism should be and what is meant by the conscious capitalism movement, which is let's take all these energies and let's make sure that it's holistically successful, that we're looking out for everyone, that we're not actually penalizing and hurting people and we're sharing this in a really productive and healthy way. And so conscious capitalism is a movement, but I think that the concept and the term really well refers to, to that idea. And we've talked, you've talked about, you know, how that relates to your interaction with your customers. But let's talk about your thoughts when it comes to company culture and what the role that plays in success and and how you define it. Um, You have been very conscious about developing the company culture over time and refining what it means to be a good employer um, or what you consider yourself to, to be as a good employer. Can you talk about what that journey was like for you? When What was it like at the company when it started? And how has the thought of what a strong company culture at Mainstay has evolved over time? Yeah, well... You're asking me to talk about culture, and I just want to ask you both about culture. You both have such wealth of of knowledge and experience in these things, so maybe you can share a little too. Uh, You know, I think that culture is the way that people are treated. It's the way that things are done. It's the it's the connection of relationships between people. And so often people look at the ping pong table and the fun benefits and the charity team is like, yeah, we do and have all that stuff. But really, what people care about is are they cared about and are mm-hmm. they built, is the company built to really help people flourish holistically where we're caring about their whole life and how right. work interacts with the rest of their lives and how they grow and all of that. And so you say, how did that develop? And I would say, it's just so tied to how I want to see people, how I want to treat people, how I want to make people feel and the impact that I want to have on others' lives. And so you know, rightly or wrongly, a founder casts a long shadow and has a lot of impact. And what the priorities of the founder are end up being the priorities of the organization one way or the other. And that, to me, makes me, like, work so hard on how how do I know if I have the right priorities? How do I grow in wisdom? How do I grow in care? And then how do I make sure that that is working out into the culture, that we are a culture of genuine care for people? And it's in the decisions, and you see how you make the decisions, that you realize, do I really care about people? Or do I say that I care about people because what I really want is good retention so that I make more money when I have great retention. And I always get a little bothered when people start conversations with culture. They ask me about culture and they say like, I want good retention. How do I build a great culture? And I say, well, why do you want good retention? Right. Why is that your end goal, right. your end result? Yeah. Let's actually prioritize for the people mm. and do that well in harmony with the success of the greater whole of the business. And that's when really good, th- exciting things happen. Yeah, right. There's no there's no use in 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 creating something for an end that is in a way, well, self-serving in, in that yes. way, but you might as well, uh, you know, grow it organically and naturally and actually care about people. I was having a conversation with someone recently about, um, 
you know, just not nickel and diming like vacation time and things like that. Well, you know that a human being has needs, that they have doctor's appointments and children's games and this and that and all of these things that we are. And if you can accommodate that and make sure that they also get the job done, as it were, um, then why not just build a pol- you know, your company culture that way and organically? And then that way, at the end of the day, you get what they need you get what you need, they get what they need. And it's not like this, well, we're doing this because of the, no, we're doing this because we have human beings that are helping us build something. Thank you. And we have to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, companies across the spectrum are re-examining their cultures in much different ways than they have before because they're fighting so hard for talent and they're trying to figure out how do I attract and retain the talent. And their approaches are are varying to, from very healthy, you know, inspections of themselves and where are we weak and we're not. And others are just kind of looking at what the latest trends are and trying to slap mm. it into, mm-hmm. you know, a job description, hoping that it'll stick. And um, you have, you know, companies are obviously looking at flexibility more now. Mm-hmm. It's what employees after this, you know, this pa- pandemic experience we've been through realize they want a lot of you were ahead of that curve though i mean well before the pandemic you were taking a look at what does a flexible workplace look like here at mainstay and and with an it service firm where you have to serve clients but at the same time balance employees can you talk about what you have created um at mainstay and how has that concept of how do we serve clients and the needs of family life mm-hmm. was that how has that evolved over time yeah i think it's a good question I, I think that we try to spend a lot of time listening and really understanding what success looks like for our clients and what success looks like for our team and what is a good healthy life and i don't mean healthy just in you eat granola bars and hike every weekend (laughs) but like healthy is in your flourishing and you're really doing well and i think if we reflect on when work has been a good part of our lives it's because it's giving us challenges with certain guy you know guardrails on it where it is encouraging and it's a part of the rest of our life and it's causing us to grow and have these healthy challenges but it's not swamping other areas of our life and so we really we do things like we put up metrics of how much unused vacation time happened last year and we show the whole company like hey a couple people didn't use all of their vacation time <laughs> we give it to you so that you can take it we model that behavior we actually show and track how how many hours over 40 hours a week do people work? If we can't be really productive and build an amazing cult, company and culture in 40 hours a week, why? Like, what are we doing? Is that really, do we want all of our time to be going to just more work? It's like, we're the wealthiest culture in the entire history of civilization, and we reward our success with more work. <laughs> right. and, like, it's great when it's good work, but not when it's just more, and there's that point, 50, 60 hours is not healthy. I know I've done it. It's not healthy long-term. And so we first really look to say, what's full holistic success? This is our vision. If you come to work at Mainstay, this is what you can expect. You can expect to be challenged to grow. You can expect life-work balance and that we're going to actually push that. You don't get talked to about you haven't worked enough overtime. It's why are you working this and let's talk about it. And if it's good for you, awesome. If not, let's make sure this is in a good balance. And then how do you get your job done in the way that's healthy? And, you know, we look to hire adults and then you just empower them. And people want to have responsibility. Ultimately, responsibility is healthy. It, it, you, you can't grow and succeed as a human being if you don't embrace responsibility for yourself and for as many people around you as you can. And so when you build a culture of 
of that and that becomes normal, then amazing things can happen because you're not looking over your shoulder and saying, oh, you didn't come in on time. You didn't, you just get to provide flexibility and it becomes a natural part of things. And so, you know, that we've always done that with a lot of the day-to-day schedules. And now, especially as people are moving and there's so much more work from anywhere, it just allows us to be able to, to handle that well and keep a health. What we hope is, I mean, what we work really hard on to be a really healthy culture. We'll be right back with Ryan Barton. McLean Middleton is a full-service law firm with over 100 attorneys and 25 paralegals throughout its five offices in Manchester, Concord, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, they've been providing exceptional legal services to businesses, individuals, and nonprofit organizations across the region. Visit McLean.com for a complete list of practice areas and attorneys. We're back with Ryan Barton, founder and CEO of Mainstay Technologies. Earlier in our conversation, you mentioned that you were you had scaled at some point the business uh, through adding additional employees because you are a service-based company, so you need more people to service more clients, as it were. Um, have you, as a company, had to seek um, outside investment, or how have you also grown from a capital sense as well with outside injections, or has that been uh, utilization of profits over time, too? Yeah, it's so interesting to service business. Every business scales uniquely, and I was yeah, just talking yeah. the other day uh, with with a senior director and mainstay who's been at this long, long time, and we're talking about growth, and we're at the point today where we can't take new clients on for about two months because we always sync up staff and new clients and get uh, that pipeline. Okay. And we've had a great growth this year. And so we said, okay, people need to come on. It's about two month waiting and we can line that up. But we were like, oh, you think about those SaaS guys who have software. Like they can just sell all they want. Like, oh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> and yet they have all kinds of other challenges. Mm-hmm. The grass is not always greener. And so they have to raise capital and have this enormous risk. And for us being service, it means we're limited in some of these ways. Like growth, we have to be very intentional about. Mm. And yet, we didn't have to raise capital. Mm-hmm. We don't have outside investors. We don't have bank debt. Because with a service business, if you plan it right, you mm-hmm. can have that consistent growth. Probably not 50%, but certainly that 20, 25% yep. and stay profitable. And we've been profitable every quarter since company inception. And we're proud of that. And then we work a lot on what safety nets do we have? How do we keep cash in the bank? And it's important to us to control our destiny because with as much respect as I have for the financial industry and private equity, I've seen so often that when they come in, the, the shareholders gain, have so much power because they have the money mm. and the control of the mm-hmm. ultimate decisions. They get a double whammy of control and power. And that ultimately changes things long-term is that they will make the decisions to make sure that the investors make the money. And mm-hmm. they might leave you alone for a while, mm-hmm. but over time it ends up going that way. And we don't want that. I wanna build a 100-year company. I look, what inspires me is these New Hampshire companies who've been around for a long time or you know King Arthur Baking Company around for what, 230 years? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's amazing and able to control their destiny, continue mm. to create jobs, be integrated in their communities. That's when business, that excites me. Thinking about that kind of power in a business. We don't have to raise funds. We don't mm-hmm. have to go out. We don't have to, you know, we're not a nonprofit. We get to do this and strengthen our communities in that way and keep doing it. That's what's exciting. Nice, nice. You, um, speaking of strengthening, well, communities and, and your team, I read that in 2019, you passed on some business tax savings to your team. Um, how and why did you do that? So 
That was the Trump tax cuts that we ultimately, we really felt like it was an opportunity to say, do we talk about some of these things Mm -hmm. or do we really believe in these things? And the way you make decisions is how you know. And so we looked at what our success definitions was for our different stakeholders. So Mm -hmm. we say, for us to be successful, we have to be delighting our clients, creating value for them, solving the problems, making the complexities of technology simple and delightful for them. Mm -hmm. We have to be doing that. For our team, we have to be growing them, paying them well, generosity, benefits, company, we have to be profitable, growing our community. We've got to be strengthening the environment. Mm. We've got to make sure we're not taking from the environment and we're working towards becoming a net zero company so that we're making sure no one is har- being harmed by mainstays growth. In fact, it's an engine of flourishing. And we looked at our success definitions and goals and we said, we've met them all around and we met our profitability goals. And now all of a sudden we had more because the tax cuts were so significant. So what do we do with this? And we said, well, this is the time where we can invest more in our charity efforts and give money away. We started a sabbatical program for the team. At that point, there was more of a retirement um, benefit, I think, that we implemented. And we Mm -hmm. said, we're going to take this and fund into the other stakeholders because we didn't want to just say the company is going to be, you know, much more successful. It's got to go. It's got to be equalized here. Nice. The pandemic affected so many companies in different ways. And I imagine for an IT company, it was actually probably busier than ever. I won't assume. I'll let you answer that one. But um, I was curious, you know, it was also a time where companies did a huge reassessment. What was that time like at Mainstay? Was it reaffirming of what was already there? Um, or did you reassess things as well? And and was it a economically rough time for you? Or was it a time where you're just trying to keep up? Yeah, it was... It was, a, I mean, certainly a wild time for all of us. Right. And I think we will all, we can all write books and stories <laughs> about the stories. I remember being on vacation when the pandemic really hit and they canceled the NBA season. And I remember landing on the plane and when we got back to New Hampshire and everybody went, the governor just canceled schools. And it was that Sunday. <laughs> and we knew Monday we were getting thousands of people to work remotely. And the Main State team pulled together and it went off remarkably smoothly. And thankfully we have great clients that take our recommendations. So we prepared everybody so that remote work was all you know in place and able to happen smoothly and securely. But, you know, I was, um, I like to plan. I, I think productive paranoia is a really good thing as a CEO. I used to think that entrepreneurs are these brash risk takers, and there are some. And the more that I've studied, I realized that those brash risk takers, for every one that you see, there's about 20 who didn't make it there who are brash risk takers. Yep. And that the long-term successful tend to be really focused on risk, they just put risk plans in place. And so that's allowed me as someone who is more of an introvert and more risk focused to actually embrace being an entrepreneur and say, no, I can pay attention to the risk and just put plans in place and work through them. And so there was a lot of planning of what do we do here? How do we pilot through? We'd done a lot of doomsday planning before so we could pull those plans out and say, and what it really reaffirmed for me was how much our clients need and value technology, no surprise there, but also really value the relationships. You know, I wondered, are clients going to stop paying us for months on end and make us fight because everyone's managing cash? And like, no one did that. I mean, across all of our clients, I mean, we support at 150 to 200 organizations and thousands of staff across New Hampshire, Northern Massachusetts, and not one of them was like, we're gonna jerk you around. And so we got to work with the companies who got really impacted and hurt. We got to know that there was consistency. I got to call a lot of the leaders and say, what are you doing? How do you think about this? And and ultimately it caused us to reevaluate some of the investments we were making and we were growing in multiple ways. And we said, this is a year where we're gonna invest in the thing that we know works. 
And we're going to start to focus on that. And then very quickly, I mean, once PPP was announced, everyone went back to business as usual from our perspective. And then, of course, it's been heating up ever since. Uh, You know, it was also a time where I think companies really were tested in their company cultures and learned a lot about it. And those that had strong ones were able to lean in. Um, What did you learn during that time about the culture that you've established at Mainstay? And and did you reassess any parts of it? You know... I, I think that the biggest thing for me is that, you know, that was a stressful time for all of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sucked, right? <laughs> Big <laughs> to time. say the least, And, right? yeah. you know, we all carry certain brokenness within us that is typically hidden. You know, the, pa- the feet paddle underneath the duck and yes. people see the duck going. Yeah. And we all have some version of what that means for our feet to paddle and no one to see it. And that was such a time where it was such a chance for each of us, I think, to look that that dragon in the face. And for me, that meant therapy. That meant embracing some of the pain of realizing that there were things I'd carried for a long, long time that I'd been beginning to engage, that that even heightened, that allowed, that caused me to push more into why am I having the emotional reactions that I'm having? Why is my experience the way that it is? And why isn't it more consistently joyful and carefree? It's a great question to ask yourself. Like, how often do you feel carefree and full of joy? And if the answer's not often, it's like, well, why? That's that's all in between our ears and that's in our bodies. That's our the memory of our stories and our interpretation of life. And so I really leaned into the work and then tried to be vulnerable with the team and just say, here's there's professional boundaries, but here's some of what I'm learning. Here's some of the things we put in a really wonderful anxiety management called Healthy Gamer. It's this guy who, you know, really on point for the tech industry. Um, but it's all about meditation, mindfulness, anxiety management from a very neurological perspective, as well as some of the ancient religion perspective. And, and just being really leaning into the people and saying, we're all unsettled. And here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. How do we bond together as people? I mean, that's what matters is we all needed a friend. We all, we all, we all still need a friend and we need that, that community. And I think working remotely, you know, I, I worry, frankly, and I, I talk on this, I give, I, I give, I'm fortunate enough to be able to give teachings on some of this, but a lot of it is just wrestling with this work from anywhere revolution where people are working solo. And if you have a really healthy life, inner life and family life and social life, that can be great. But the people who don't are choosing still to stay at home today and are not coming into the offices that they could. And every day it's easier to do that, but over the long run, we're social creatures and we need thick, deep relationships around us. And I worry that we're focusing on productivity and not enough on the kinds of and quality of the relationships that we're having this. Amen to that. So how do you how are you handling that mainstay? How are you making sure your team um, is getting what they need out of the culture you've created. Yeah. So obviously a lot of just, I mean, quality relationships, I'll keep saying it. I mean, listening, talking, encouraging, teaching, being with, we're, we're one team. We all sit on the same side of the table, looking at our opportunities as a company. Uh, and then we do practical things of like, we have office Thursdays, like Thursdays a day, we really encourage everybody to come in. We often buy lunch. We'll do lunch and learns. We'll do after hours where we have game nights and hangouts. And people talk about culture and some and people say about like their yoga things. I'm like, we have, we have Dungeons and Dragons nights, right? Like that's, <laughs> we're a tech company. <laughs> nice. that, that's what we do. Like the yoga would be awesome too if somebody would start that. But 
Um, you know, and we try to encourage people and then try to teach them some awareness of how are you feeling? What is good for you? And some people rarely come into the office, but they're really doing well, and that's fine. I don't care if they're not in the office. I care about are they doing well, working well, living mm-hmm. well, and what's the right partnership? I don't want to force people in to, to come in. And that's the awkward thing is some people come in, don't come in, and I think they should. And you need a bit of an office culture for the mentoring, for the new people. You know, I think being around people physically is helpful. And so we're continually trying to balance that. And a lot of it's team leaders getting their teams together, team meetings, events, you know, doing stuff outside of work and trying to build that right balance between total flexibility and that those as thick of a relationship as we can have. I'm, um, I'm really impressed. And I have not met you until today, but I'm really impressed with, um, I think, who you are as a human being. And and I'm I'm feeling your energy here in this space, which is cool. And... um, and I'm just, you know, you're, you're obviously in a great place. You're, you're able to prioritize, you know, things for yourself and for your company. Um, I wonder who you were as a young person who, and, and where these foundations maybe came from, um, if indeed there were foundations. But would love to dig into that a little bit more to kind of find out where, where you came from and how, uh, you know, you sort of got here because... Well, first of all, that's incredibly kind of you. I mean, well, thank it's, you. I'm, it's, I it's, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm being absolutely serious. It's like you've got a great energy, great vibe. Um, you said you were an introvert earlier, but when you first came in to see us, I was like, this guy is totally not an introvert. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I get it. So maybe talk about that too. But would really love to know who was the younger Ryan and what was your life like and where did you come from and those foundational pieces? So I was homeschooled all the way through mm. and never went to college. Um, I did a little bit of tech school as a teenager, Mm -hmm. dropped off and picked up to computer classes um, at tech school. Uh, And then I did a little bit of a Bible college internship and Mm -hmm. that that was really it. And I was, my my dad is an entrepreneur. And so early on, I saw him sort of doing his own path. And it's very important to him that people sort of follow their own path. And, you know, I'm not advocating not going to college. Let me be clear. I'm Mm -hmm. saying that there, you know, there there are different paths. Well, there's a path for everybody. Yeah, and I th- and you know our path, um, we are defined so much by our stories. And you know, homeschooling, what it really did for me was it taught me how to teach myself, and that you know, books were my friend. I didn't mm-hmm. really have friends, and mm-hmm. so books became my friend. Uh, I realized that I could develop a rich inner world that no one could sort of have access to unless I wanted them to, mm-hmm. and I could be creative on my own. And of course, that kind of schooling allowed me to play with things and learn on the computer and take a lot of extra time in that. It didn't help the introversion because there weren't <laughs> many people around. <laughs> sure. And, you know, and I think that it also amplifies the challenges. We all have family stories. We're all raised by imperfect parents who mm-hmm try and work hard. And Mm -hmm. I think that particularly amplified that. And so I grew up really focused on serving people, Mm. making sure they're happy because that's how I found safety as a kid. And that was really my role in the family to be kind of quiet. And, and yet, and so I was deeply, I'm obviously deeply relational. I'm a relational introvert is how I describe myself. And I, and so then as I've grown, and I think you try to assimilate those experiences as an adult and you sort of sift this thing and you take and you grow from the suffering and you honor um, your parents' sacrifice, you know, it's interesting to look back and say, well, even them, the service of the business and the technology were so came out of that, like how I was patterned in my family, how business was, but it really 
my joy came from being able to develop as a person and then seeing people around me flourish. And I got to chart my own course of that. I kind of had to, that was the challenge to it, but I also got to sort of drive my own education and figure my own way in the world and do a different path. And so it's given me this deep hunger for um, intersectional innovation, meaning reading lots, getting lots of voices, taking lots of things and intersecting and saying, how do we bring all this together? How do we build a business that's informed by psychology, that's informed by spirituality, that's informed by deep philosophy, that is really built well, but is also just a compelling business? And that, my whole story sort of led me into this, uh, that recipe. Wow. <laughs> Again, with the mic drop, I feel like, but wow, thank you. But go ahead, Matt's got another question for you. Well, it's obviously all part of a very thoughtful approach that mm -hmm. you bring to your management philosophies and to building things that are meaningful. And, you know, one of the things I always find interesting is, you know, we run the best companies to work for a competition, which you are in Hall of Fame coming up this Ooh. year uh, for a reason. <laughs> but it's always interesting, you know, to see the companies that really excel, their approach to benefits and programs, yes. that they aren't culture. Mm -hmm. You know, if you try and substitute those for culture, you're going to fail. That they're the tools that you reach to achieve what you want to have in your company and, and to manifest, you know, those ways that you're going to appreciate or invest in your employees. One of the ones I, I've always been intrigued by um, at Mainstay, one of the tools you use, um, are sabbaticals. Mm -hmm. And often companies there, you know, seven years down the road, once in your career lifetime, we're going to give you a break and go out. You take a very different approach to what a sabbatical is, how often it should be used, and, and what the purpose of it is. Can you talk about the program and and how it runs and why you run it that way. Yeah, so in IT, it's easy to get burned out. Mm. Um, technology changes so fast and people need technology and they panic when it doesn't work. And so it's really easy to feel um, just the grind of that year over year. And so when we looked at, um, and, and you know, when we looked at, hey, we've got some extra resources, where do we want to put these? Mm -hmm. What's healthiest? What does everybody want in the team? And we have this amazing leadership team who just leads the, leads the team so well and listens and designs really compelling and creative things. The idea came up is what if we could do things a little bit more often? And so we do an every five year sabbatical benefit that says, in addition to your regular PTO at five years, you get either an extra two weeks or 2,000 bucks. You can drag that slider. Because part of what we realize is that some people are at points in their life where they're trying to save to get a mortgage to do with something and taking that time might not work for them and it might be hard. And so we try to give some balance. And then at 10 years, it's a five weeks deal and then it keeps going. And at 20 years, it's going to be, you know, even bigger. We about to sell, we have um, for our first teammates celebrating their 15 year anniversary this year. So we got a little time to figure Excellent. out the big, uh, I think actually we did. We, we put something even more special in place for 20 years. I just don't remember. But what we wanted is this recurring um, themes of taking extra time, combine it with some PTO, they can do some unpaid leave if they want, to take chunks of time and have it frequently enough that people are thinking about it regularly, hearing about it regularly, to, to explore the world, to explore life, to explore other things, to invest in other things. We had um, one of our teammates for through some of these exploration and discussions, went off and was a missionary with an orphanage in Mexico for a while, and then he came back to the company and other, like, they, like we really encourage this broader exploration, and we think that more time off and more frequent rests like that is a good thing. And so where do you, what is next for Mainstay? Where are you at right now in terms of the business and your culture, and where do you want to take those? So we, just to give some context, we're about 80 to 85 team members strong at this point. And 
we, you know, for us, it's all about growing in ways that strengthen what we're doing, that continue to grow. You know, we have a huge charge with our clients because their complexity is growing. I mean, cybersecurity threats are increasing constantly. The business, you know, now the demands of business have stretched beyond eight to five in the last couple of years in a way they hadn't before. Their technology infrastructure has to be absolutely, you know, beyond question. So we have to continue to carry that really well. And size helps us to do that because we can invest in R&D and we can continue to grow and of course invest in opportunities for our team. So we believe that this is a season of continuing on our core market and our core product, which is service of an IT department and then information security for compliance and whole organization security. And to just do that better and do that a little bit bigger every year. And so as, a, as our themes of the company, it's very much around how do we grow our team? How do we really empower them grow? We have a wonderful success recruiting and retaining because we like to hire junior and train. And we invest a ton in training and developing and keep people for years. And so more size and more resources allow us to do that even more. And then just the, the day-to-day grind of better processes, better systems, and leadership development. I have a wonderful leadership team and just invest investing in their growth. They're the ones who really make things happen and, and to, it's their, they who make Mainstay successful. I mean, the whole team is what makes Mainstay successful every day. So there's a big push on just, we don't want to be distracted by the shiny, oh, let's go build this software thing and let's go start <laughs> something. You know, as a founder, I have that energy of like, let's go do something new. Mm. And it's hard to become that professional manager who's just grinding out improvement in all those ways. That's a really hard transition. And I'm trying to embrace that as best as I can and say, we need to be steady in growing mm-hmm. in quality in every way year over year. And so uh, knowing that you take a thoughtful approach to everything, including yourself, what's next for you? What are you looking forward to in the future for yourself? What are you working on on, on Ryan Barton? Yeah, that's thank you. I, I appreciate that question. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm just getting started. I mean, I feel like the more, you know, isn't that wonderful thing about as you grow is that you start to realize how much you don't know and how much growth there is that's possible. And I just feel like the world just keeps opening of so many things. And I'm very driven by curiosity, if you can't tell. And so I take a sabbatical this, I'm taking July off as one of my sabbaticals here, because uh, I realized I was preaching to the team and not taking them and it would be good for me. And <laughs> yeah. so yeah. I got my stack of books and things I want to study. Uh, I'm... I mean, I want to, I really want to embrace being a really good CEO for a, let's call it a 150 person organization. Cause I can be, a, I'm confident that the outcomes show that I can be a good CEO of an 80 person organization. I really want to earn the spot to keep doing this, to be worthy of my team's trust. And so all of the coaching, the books, the resources to do that and to embrace the things that I don't enjoy naturally. I enjoy creating new things. I enjoy the relationship side. Business also has that discipline that I'm really trying to embrace and grow same time I'm um, growing my writing skills because I and my I really would like to be able to communicate better and more effectively on paper and grow that in a more professional way and I really want to encourage people to think deeply about their lives and about their organizations and how they define success and I don't know yet what that will look like in future chapters it's not that I would leave main states that there is another voice that I find myself longing to have with people, to encourage them to think, you know, when you're 75, sitting in that cabin in the woods, thinking <laughs> back on your life, what do you want to have your impact be? Like, what what would your impact have been and how meaningful will that be? And how are you making sense of the culture today? How are you piloting through? What practices are you doing every day to actually grow in wisdom and grow your impact? And I think businesses are this wonderful thing to help people 
in their lives. I mean, people spend more time working than they do anything else in their waking hours in life, over 100,000 hours of their life. And yet we don't think about what a shaping impact that has in their lives. And we're in a culture where so many institutions are crumbling. I mean, there's such a challenge of trust in religion and in politics and in all, and what, like businesses and work, it's like we have this massive opportunity to just do right by people and to be leaders that can be examples. And so I would like to encourage people more directly um, in doing that. But what that looks like, I don't know. I'd love your ideas on that. We can chat after it. I'd love your encouragement and ideas on it. Beautiful. The passion you bring to everything is, is incredible. And it's, you know, the passion we have for your business and how it's going to develop and its impact is, is evident. What are the passions you have outside of the, uh, this company you're creating? Uh, when you're not transforming main, the next level of mainstay, what drives you? Yeah. Well, you mentioned you have a, uh, Nathan, you have a five-year-old son have, named Noah, is that right? Five and a half and a, uh, yes. And a th- Noah's and a three? five and a half and three, so, uh, uh, two and a half, yeah. I have a, a five-year-old Noah as well. Oh, so no way. Ah. I have a four-year-old, a five-year-old, and a six-year-old. All the right. six-year-old turns seven um, next week. That's a big deal. Chloe. Yeah, so Olivia, <laughs> Noah, and Chloe, and they're nice. awesome, and my wife, I mean, that, that family is, is I, I love them more than anything and would do anything for them. And so that drives me. And we spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time on the floor wrestling and doing puzzles <laughs> and reading books and having fun with them. They are, they are amazing. Uh, and then, you know, I really, um, I'm really wrestling with um, faith and wisdom and how do we live well? How do we have the right tools as people to live well? And I love to learn. I'm a big reader. Uh, last year, I put mm-hmm. my um, book recommendations on LinkedIn, and I was like, you know, I, I have this thing where I like to read hard, um, like actual physical oh, books. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I like to own them absolutely. because then I remember them and they're mm-hmm. around and they remind me. There's a tactile experience of the smell and the paper that I think even helps with the memory. There is. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. You don't think I'm weird with that? No, 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 that. absolutely not. I, I do not have an e-reader it, and I that's don't think great. I ever me will. <laughs> that's great. As a technologist, I'm like, no, there's certain, like, technologists use it well. Like, yeah. you started this conversation with screen time. Like, let's use technology well. It can be mm. so helpful. And yet let's not just adopt it without thinking. Not at all convinced TikTok is good for the world. Like, <laughs> not at all. And, uh, you know, e-readers have their place, but like good books. So mm. I did a, a book recommendations like by the pound. I was like, I read 74 pounds last year. And <laughs> had the stack, the picture um, on the scale. And uh, so I'm very much interested in reading and learning from the great minds that have come before. And, and I think that we're in this fascinating time period where Great thinkers have an immediate audience through YouTube and through mm-hmm. podcasts. I mean, great mm-hmm. use of technology. And people are doing fascinating things of integrating religion and psychology and science. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're innovating now about how do we live and be wise? Like, oh, I want to encourage people to think about wisdom. And I want to grow more wise. And then how do we do that? Like, how do you become more wise? Right. That's the stuff I'm studying and fascinated by right now. So yeah. what was the last book that got you excited? I mean, the last one I just finished last night. I mean, they're all ah! so great. Um, boy, for a recommendation, you know, a really good one um, was The Three Marriages by David White. So he's this amazing Irish poet. And yet he's also a business consultant about language and about culture. And he takes a poet's perspective in. And he talks about the three marriages as the marriage of self, partner, and work. 
and the way, and that then there's almost a super marriage of how we connect them together. And I love that framework that says you almost make a vow to your work and a commitment to it. And the strength of your commitment actually has a lot to do with the quality of your work. The same as in a partnership, the strength of that vow and commitment you make to that person defines that relationship. And then the same with yourself. And he uses this poetic and yet highly like informed by the business world language to draw together the three marriages. And I thought that was just a really wonderful book. That's obviously very much my, like, I love that poetry and business combination. I think that that's so, so like powerful. Can't wait to go buy a bookstore on the way home. <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to buy the physical book as, as it were. But So what is the impact you want to have in life? You know, you talked about that's what everyone needs to kind of take a look back at. So what's that look, look like for you? I mean, I find myself getting emotional um, at that question. And thank you for asking it so sincerely. Uh, I mean, you know, it sounds so cliche. It's hard to not have an answer that doesn't sound cliche to say, like, leave the world a little bit better, right? But I really believe that meaning is found in becoming, like, actualizing your potential, becoming the fullest, most love-filled, kindest, wisest person, and being that person that then shoulders responsibility for as many people as you can that helps transform the world around you. And I have grave concerns about what's happening in our economy right now, the way that our government, the dialogue is breaking down. We're getting more mm. complex as a society and our ability to handle complexity is breaking through through social media and the political polarity. And there's so much that obviously we could talk about of just cultural, like our sense-making machinery as a culture is breaking down. And I want to create as big of a boat as I can for as many people that I can help through those storms. And my question is, how do I pattern my life so that I become the Ryan Barton that can help as many people as possible? And in that pursuit of helping them and loving them well, become the person who is most filled with joy, most carefree, most unafraid, and most myself. That's what's so cool about, I think, growth, is you become more yourself through the responsibility. Awesome, wow. Thank you. Ryan Barton is founder and CEO of Mainstay Technologies. Um, what an amazing conversation uh, that stemmed from the fact that you started a technology company. So thank you so much thank for you. your thoughtful responses your, your, and everything that you do that is clearly very thoughtful and um, for reading 74 pounds of books. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. This was such a fun, honoring conversation. I it's really our pleasure it. to have you. Thank you so much. And now the buzz with Matt Mowry. As the summer tourist season heats up, it's evident people have the travel bug. So yes, while the hospitality industry was hit hard by the pandemic, that pent-up demand to get out and get going is benefiting the hotel industry. According to the Q1 2022 Construction Pipeline Trend Report for the United States, released by Lodging Econometrics in Portsmouth, the uh, total number of hotel projects is up 2% year over year. Notably, upscale and upper mid-scale chains dominate the pipeline for Q1, with 63% of projects in the total pipeline concentrating in those two areas. Hotel renovation projects are also on the rise, reaching an all-time high and increasing 59% for projects. And that's what we're buzzing about this week.
Welcome back to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll, and I love words and phrases. I also love to find out where some of the most common phrases in particular come from. So in light of our tech-centered conversation this week, I did a bit of research on the phrase state-of-the-art. There is a claim that the phrase was first used in 1776 in a European review of music. Interesting. However, most other uses in the Oxford English Dictionary put the first known use in the late 19th century. So the way we use the phrase, of course, um, means nowadays the highest point of technological achievement to date, right? In the research I did, people tried to break down technology and its Greek roots, the word itself, but we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. It's important to note that the phrase, uh, having been used for some time, hasn't always, of course, referenced technology as we know it today, because it didn't always exist, right? It started early as a status of the art, or the current level to which some technical art had been reached, and morphed to how we use it today to mean essentially the latest and greatest, right? So for this one, I'll encourage you to do your own bit of research. Let us know what you think, what you have come up with, and um, how far back references are that you can find, and how far down the rabbit hole of etymology you went to break down the words and the phrase. Thanks for joining me in the state of the art, Cardinal Corner. How could I not, right? Find more at our website, cardinalconsultingnh.com, or on social at cardinalconsultingnh. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard on today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. Check out the Cardinal blog and learn about our services at cardinalconsultingnh.com. We're on social at Cardinal Consulting NH. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business New Hampshire Magazine and Cardinal Consulting.